Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Training Unleashed. Uh, your favorite podcast, I am sure, available wherever podcasts are, as well as C-Suite Radio, and of course now on C-Suite Television. We're very proud to be part of the C-Suite. We're going to have an amazing episode today because we're going to be talking about peer groups. They're all the rage. I am a member of a peer group. Um, but what we're going to be talking about is not just peer groups, but how can we take the best practices and what we learn from peer groups and bring them into our businesses and make them more collaborative. I have with me today a true expert, Leo Batari. He is with a company called Peer Innovations. And he just recently, and I say just recently, now when you listen, it might be a little later, but as I'm recording it, his book came out literally two days ago. So my first question is a softball. I'll get into the tougher questions later, but just quickly share, how's it feel having your book done and now out in the world? You know, it feels great. You know, it's one of those things that it's just kind of a long time coming. And then when it finally hits, it's like, wow, you know, so um, yeah, it's my third book that I've uh, worked on. And, uh, you know, the same feeling every time, just uh, really exciting. And I think part of it is just feeling passionate about the content and wanting to share it and want to extend the reach of it. And that to me is most important. And where did the genesis of the idea come for you, the idea that you can take what you've learned in peer groups and bring it inside inside the organization. Yeah, it's been about a decade plus uh, of working on this and looking at learning teams, looking at peer groups, and you know it's it's been interesting, especially over the last four plus years, where I've led workshops for CEO peer advisory groups here in the U.S. and. Uh, throughout Canada and the United, and the United Kingdom as well, um, primarily Vistage groups. Uh, and working with those groups over that time, I basically took the content in many respects, which is where the workshop came from, which was The Power of Peers, which is the first book, and began working with these peer groups. Uh, and over time, I think just learned a great deal about, first of all, what makes these peer groups work and why are they so effective uh, for all of the members. But that as you look at the practices of what makes a group effective versus what makes a team effective, it was apparent, you know, going through these workshops about all the similarities there, you know, defining a group as uh, individuals who come together to help one another achieve um, their individual goals while uh, a team basically comes together to achieve a collective goal or, or a shared work product. Interesting. Interesting. So I'm going to ask the obvious question. Share, share a couple of examples of what you've learned from peers that we can bring into the organization. So one of the things, and this aligns in many respects with a lot of Google's work, around psychological safety. Of course, psychological safety, that concept's been around for several decades, but I think Google really made it part of our lexicon in that this idea that people coming together, trusting one another and feeling safe to talk about what they don't know, talk about what they're afraid of, uh, admit when they made a mistake, uh, 
and be able to rally around one another and be able to work together effectively. That is fundamental to groups. You know, when they come together, they're sharing, you know, obviously oftentimes deep personal uh, and business issues with one another. They have to trust that what happens in the room stays in the room and that they are helping one another um, you know, in that way. Uh, and in teams, it's, it's not a lot different. I mean, you've got to be able to uh, be able to share and be open with one another as, as peer groups do. Um, I think second was this idea, and I think a big aha moment in many respects, about the leader being a part of the team, not apart from the team. So it's not the all-powerful leader with all the people who report to them. It's so much as it's the leader being very much part of the team, winning and losing together, being able to model behaviors that other folks on your team can also emulate. And that, and that in effect also leads to a third item, which changes the game with regard to accountability. So instead of one person on one side of the table with someone else on the other and making your employee always feel like they're playing defense, you kind of all adopt this idea of, hey, we care about excellence. We care about doing great work. I am part of my personal currency with everybody in the team, including the leader, is that I bring my A game you know, each and every day. Um, and there's a sense of more about personal responsibility in many respects than it is accountability. So I think when I see that operating at a high level in peer groups, it's fantastic. And obviously, if we can translate those same principles and bring them to high performing teams, it can really be a game game changer. You know, one of the things I, I literally loved hearing is people admitting they made a mistake. And I think one of the biggest issues businesses have is that people are afraid. They don't want to admit they made a mistake and it causes them to misrepresent information that causes the company to do things that are not actually solving the actual problem and immensely expensive. And the other thing is, I don't see a lot of people asking for help because it almost like, oh, I'm asking for help. I must be weak and I must not know my job. Yet there is so much that can be created by people working together. Um, and this for me has been a passion of all the work and consulting I do too. So when I saw that you were gonna be a guest, I was really very happy about it. Um, just talk about now, okay, I'm, I'm a company, I, I love what you're saying, how do I actually implement it? How do I, in my company, do I create peers amongst people doing similar jobs, but in different divisions? Do I create peers within working groups? Uh, do I, as the leader, participate in the peer? What's, you know, some of the, some of the, the, the ins and outs? Sure, I think part of it is for a leadership team to really have an honest conversation with themselves about what they really want to do versus what they think they want to do or what sounds good and understanding what it's all about. Part of the commitment, I think, to all of this is recognizing that, you know, when you look at great teams, I don't care if it's in business, sports or whatever, uh, take a sports team, for example, the very best sports teams, when it comes to winning a national championship or a world championship, they don't regard that as the goal they see it as the reward. The goal is how do we get better every day? How do we pay attention to all of the details and how do we work day in and day out to just get better so that even if they don't win the championship that year, they're always in contention. They're always a player. They're always part of the conversation. I think great business teams uh, do very much the same thing. And you know it's a huge part of it. So with that, and again, what we found common to high performing peer groups is they have what's called 
a robust learning achieving cycle. So the idea is that when we learn, and, and we know that we learn better when we learn together, there's mountains of, of research uh, all about that. We help each other kind of embed that learning and understand it just a little better, right? Josh Burson has some research, for example, that talks about the fact that if we read something one once, we'll remember 28% of it for 24 to 48 hours. If we review it again, the number goes to 46%, but if we engage other people in conversation around a typical uh, topic, that number shoots to 69%. So, but the thing is, you know, when we're part of a team, it's not just we're learning for knowledge sake, right? So the great thing about a group or a team when they learn together like that is they also encourage one another and give each other the courage to act on that learning whether it's an individual behavior or a practice, uh, or it's something for the team. And even if there's some trial and error involved there, when they actually achieve something from what they learned, then this is a cycle they want to repeat and they get really, really good at it. And this is how great groups and great teams get better all the time. The thing about it is that you don't get a great learning achieving cycle just by throwing a bunch of people in a room and hoping for the best. Yeah, that's so just what is, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, so this is and so this is where leaders, I think, really have to be committed to how do we get all the right people in the room? How do we get all the right people on the team? What does that look like for us? I think many of us uh, as leaders, um, you know, I've certainly run companies, run divisions where I've had to make um, hires. And, you know, I've hired people who great interview, you know, great resume, all the stuff, everyone loves them three months later, they're not working out and everyone's wondering why. And oftentimes it wasn't that that person was bad necessarily by any means, they went on to work somewhere else and be very successful, but they couldn't be successful here. And part of it is really understanding your own culture and your own environment as to what makes someone successful in this organization on this team against the objectives that we're trying to achieve. So I think understanding that and getting the right people is the start. And that's kind of factor number one. Uh, second, of course, is that psychological safety we've talked about. But before we go too far on the right people, sure. are the right people, people that work with each other every day or the right people, people that are in similar roles, but work for other parts of the company or both? Oh, I think it's both. I think, you know, obviously we know we have teams, we have teams within teams, we have ad hoc teams, we have cross-functional work teams, we have a lot of that. But either way, they've got to be able to function in the organization in a way that makes them, makes them successful in that organization. Uh, a great example of it, when I worked at Mullen um, in, in Boston, advertising agency, I was there, and that is a highly combative environment in terms of what it is, right? And it's great because people mistake it from, they pe think people are fighting against one another when they're actually just fighting for the best idea. They actually have incredible mutual respect for each other. And they believe that the more they challenge each other, the better the work gets. And this has proven itself time and time again. But that culture is not for everyone. If you're thin skinned or you don't like that kind of thing, it's not for you. It doesn't mean you're bad, but you're not gonna work well, you know, in that environment, sure. I think is a good example. So, you know, the right people thing obviously is, is a core element in understanding what that looks like. Um, again, second, and I'll just go around the horn real quick, um, is the psychological safety piece. Third is productivity, right? You can have the right people 
trust each other, they're feeling psychologically safe. Are they being as productive as they possibly can be? And are we providing them the context and the resources to be able to do that? Uh, fourth becomes culture of accountability. And this is not, as I kind of mentioned before, accountability to the leader in any singular way, but it's really about accountability to one another, feeling that personal responsibility, that sense that my currency with everyone else in this company rests on me showing up as a pro. And then uh, last but not least, of course, is the leadership piece, uh, where, you know, certainly in peer groups, we saw servant leadership work really well, right? The idea that they're to help the group get better, not for their own self-aggrandizement, right? But they also serve as the steward of the other four factors. They realize that things like psychological safety, productivity, and accountability, these aren't destinations. These aren't things you feel you get to and you check off the box and you go on to the next thing. These are things that need constant, you know, watering, if you will. So I think those were the things that we saw as hugely important to uh, groups. And, um, and absolutely is meaningful for teams. And, and I think making that translation and transition with regard to the language uh, was I think a really important step. And it's, it's really what peer innovation is all about. I'll be honest with you, it sounds frightening. <laughs> and I don't mean that negatively, but it just seems like I gotta make sure I got the right people. They have to have this right attitude almost like, and I, I might, maybe you do recommend like some sort of a code of conduct or something of that nature in the peers. Interested in Tortle's learning management system? Why not try it for free today? Tortle is offering a free LMS for up to 25 users. With Tortle's easy to use self-authoring tool and free quick start guide, you'll have courses up in no time. Sign up today and you'll experience one of the easiest to use LMSs in the marketplace today. To learn more, visit tortle.com forward slash LMS. So if I wanted to take this to an organization, would I like maybe start one or two peer groups and sort of have them hit success and then, then expose it to more of the organization? Um, how do I start in a way to make sure the things you just talked about actually happen? So if you're talking about bringing peer groups into your company, um, that's, um, and I think is, is really good. Um, part of what you have to know, I think, is why am I doing this? What am I trying to achieve? What business problem or challenge am I trying to solve? I think for many peer groups, I see them set peer groups inside of organizations. And I believe strongly that the companies of the future will need groups and teams. I think that's gonna be really important. But I, I think groups can be terrific at helping to create strategic alignment. Uh, they can be great um, with fostering uh, a more positive culture of accountability. They can be tremendous when it comes to diversity and in the inclusion part of the diversity piece, the DNI, which is, you know, um, certainly most important. Um, and you know, it, it, it becomes really important as well, I think, in learning and development because oftentimes we can have the best programs, best content trainers, all this other kind of stuff, but groups can serve as a mechanism for people to actually be able to apply what they've learned, right? It's kind of that learning achieving cycle I talked about. To sure. be able to go through training, for example, and actually have the time to sit down with others, talk about that one thing or those two things that we really loved. But if we together come up with a strategy for how we implement that and make that part of how we work going forward, 
then those great ideas don't get lost. Oftentimes, you know, it's unfair of what we ask employees in those settings many times is they get all this amazing content and it's usually through a fire hose. And then they have to run back and catch up on everything they've missed while they were at training, even if no matter how long a time it was, only to kind of just get sucked back into the demands of their uh, positions. Um, and I think it's very difficult to try to bring this, I think, important, valuable content, clearly valuable enough that someone thought the investment of time and money was worth bringing it to the employees to begin with. Now, I think it's having groups that can be that mechanism that can complete that final step to actually making it possible, making it, you know, actionable in your company. So I, I think having an objective around your peer group and what they're for, I think, is really essential. Um, and I think they can support uh, you know, teams in a, in a fantastic way because of the way they'll build relationships with one another. So what I'm hearing you say is the most important first step is a clear mission or vision of what the, the group is going to accomplish. Absolutely. Yeah, so that they don't just go all over the place, which sounds like great advice. So I, as I told you in the pre-discussion, um, by the way, you, you, you look much better right now. The light, the lighting definitely improved. We're getting it there. <laughs> so anyhow, the, the one question I have is, um, should you be, in addition to doing this in the company, should you be in peer groups? Should, you know, if you want to improve your career, we have a lot of training people here. Um, I know, uh, I'm very active in, in, in the C-suite. And just so you see the C-suite TV if you're watching and you know you're on, I'm on C-suite radio because I talk about it a lot, but the C-suite is more than just, you know, a place for podcasts and TV shows. It is a network of people that advise C-suite executives, which is part of what I do. So there's tremendous networking, tremendous peer help and support, and, a, and it's a fantastic group. So I'm obviously in favor. But, you know, maybe, you know, why should somebody join a peer group? Who should join a peer group? What advice? I mean, I know you know a lot about peer groups. So we got a lot of people here, you know, so we're not now talking in the company, but just as a person, should you join a peer group? Why? And how do you figure out which one? Just a short little quick question. Okay, just a short little quick question, but I'll try to give you um, a pretty succinct answer to it. First of all, the answer is yes. I think being part of peer groups can be really essential and largely because it can take you out of your business, out of your particular company, put you around the table with other executives from different walks of life, other kinds of businesses oftentimes. Now you can certainly do industry specific groups or you can do groups where people from all different companies. I think that the value proposition of being around a table with people from different types of organizations and industries is hugely valuable because you'll discover practices in other areas that are unheard of in your business, but are commonplace everywhere else. And you think of, wow, that could really work for us. That could be great. I think you can share common challenges you have with people. And that's where people find it amazing, where if someone's from an ad agency and they're sitting around the table with someone who's from a small manufacturing firm or a bank or a hospital or whatever, they realize really quickly how similar their challenges and opportunities really are. And they have a lot to share with one another and a lot to learn from one another. And I think taking that time to have considered conversations around those things is hugely valuable. And, and I think makes people 
uh, opens their minds, certainly makes them be better executives uh, when they go back to their company, no matter what level they are. And, you know, I'd highly recommend doing it. Uh, in determining what the right one for you is, it really depends on, again, it's kind of identify what do I want from it? So for example, if, if I want to kind of go deep into industry practices and understanding what's happening in my industry beyond what's in my company, maybe I want to join that group. If I were um, a woman business owner, for example, and I wanted to be around other women business owners who were sharing very specifically the challenges that I have, the opportunities, programs, and all that, you might want to be in that group. So it really depends uh, precisely on what you're looking for. Um, and, um, you know, just to be uh, grounded in that. And by the way, you don't have to be just part of one group. You don't have to be part of one group forever. You could, you know, get what you want from a group for a while and go, you know, shake things around a little bit. So, but I think they're really powerful. So I, I want to just take a second for the audience and just validate everything you've said. Um, in my experience, uh, when I was running a, a $5 billion franchise system, uh, we did peer groups everywhere. We had peer groups with our franchisees working with each other. Uh, they were, we called them regional networking groups where they would get together regionally and discuss issues and, and share vulnerably. Um, within our company, because uh, I was operating basically four different business entities, uh, we created peer groups of people doing similar roles in different franchise businesses where they shared all kinds of ideas. They started collaborating, saving millions of dollars and, and becoming more efficient and doing things together. Um, and, and not only that, it created a culture of collaboration within the organization and within our franchise systems. Um, so it, you know, to me, everything you're saying just so resonates. So let me ask you this question. If I loved what I heard and I wanted to engage you, what kind of how, how do you work with your clients? Who are your, who are the, the, the ideal people to actually reach out to you? Yeah, so I work with, um, with peer groups, clearly, who, who are interested in saying, hey, we want to really squeeze the most valuable possible out of the investment we're making in our group. We'd like to have you come in and help, help us have a conversation around how to do that. So I do that. I also work with both cross-functional work teams and with organizational teams at their company to kind of figure out because in many cases, especially for companies that are growing quickly, they want to know, okay, we've got a team that we think has A players, we've gotten to this far with them, but now we've got to go to the next stage. So how do we have to think about things? How do we have to work together? How do we have to communicate? And oftentimes the conversations around these five factors really help teams hit the reset button a bit about their commitment to one another which I think is the most important part, the leader's commitment to the role he or she has in supporting that team, and then what they're gonna to do together and how they're gonna accept responsibility for that. Every one of them there, I think at the end of these kinds of sessions realized they're not there to fill a role, they're there to make a difference. And, and I think once people own that uh, and recognize and respect the other people around them as owning it in the same way, it becomes a real game changer. So let me just say to the audience, and I, I think this is an important point. These things can add immense value to the organization. These are the type of things that can retain employees, create excitement, create a culture of collaboration. These are very important. It makes no sense, in my opinion, to do something like this without getting expert advice. 
You can do that through the book. You can do that with working with him directly. But to just go and just say, I'm going to do this without getting the experience of somebody who's done this uh, is a mistake. Because if you don't do it right, it's going to be hard to do it right a second time. Uh, because they're going to get they're going to get a bad bad rep, bad reputation. So, how do people reach you? How do you how do people contact you? So, um, largely they'll contact me through my website, which they can go to leobatari.com, or they can go to peerinnovation.co. Both will take you to the same website. There is a contact form so, uh, there. So, so, Leo, you've got to go slower. Sure. Because there'll be no. some people that get the description. But there are going to be some people listening to you right now in their car, and it'd be great if you could spell your name. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's L-E-O-B as in boy, O-T-T-A-R-Y dot com. And Peer Innovation is P-E-E-R-N-O-V-A-T-I-O-N dot C-O. And so either will take you to the website. You'll you can get, a, I think, a really good familiarity with the with all of my work, uh, the three books that are there, um, and then we can figure out really and tailor something that works for you. Because I think ultimately that's really what I try to do. And in fact, the workshop that I do, which is one of the main uh, ways that I engage people, at least from the start, I think people tend to think that I'm going to go in and tell everyone what their team should be like and what's ideal and what isn't and all that. When we're in many respects, all I do is help people figure that out for themselves. And I think when that workshop is over and people in that room own the solution, and then we just talk about the kinds of things that are going to be necessary in their action plan to make sure that this isn't just a one and done. I think that's where it becomes sustainable and really profitable for people to do it. I love that philosophy of helping people self-discover because I think one of the mistakes that most consultants have is telling people. And the point of the whole point of a peer groups is self-discovery. So you doing it in a self-discovering way just makes so much sense. Okay, my last question, every one of my guests knows it. If you had one tip to share with our audience, what would that one tip be? I think as a leader, you really should consider yourself a part of the team, not apart from the team. Um, and I'll have people when I say that say, well, hey, what about like the coach of a basketball team, for example? He's not on the team or she's not on the team. And it's, well, it kind of depends on how you define the team, right? Just because the people that are on the floor aren't the only members of the team. It's the trainers, it's the coaching staff, it's everybody is involved. And if you look at the NFL, for example, when the team wins the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl rings don't just go to the players, they go to everyone because there's that recognition that it takes that entire team to make that a winning organization. And I think once we recognize that as leaders and we can all win together, lose together, cry together, laugh, celebrate together, that's really what it's all about. It's excellent advice, excellent advice. Uh, I wanna thank my audience for being here and listening. I wanna thank C-Suite uh, TV and radio for all of your support. And Leo, I wanna thank you for being a great guest. Hey, thanks for having me, Evan. Everyone have a great day. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Tortal Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Tortal makes effective training easier. Just go to tortal.net to gain access to real world tools that can make a difference. That's tortal.net, T-O-R-T-A-L portal.net
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.